When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 738. Uh, this episode is... Uh, got, wait, do you guys want to... you have some Nerds Community Corkboard stuff you want to sure. share with our audience? You want to go first? Sure. There, the newest episode of the Nerdist Writers panel is a really awesome extra special one, and it features Steve Levitan, Phil Rosenthal, and Norman Lear. Holy Whoa! shit. Yeah. We did it live at Largo. At one point, Janae Dubois, who was in the audience, comes up and sings the Jefferson song and gets and like starts dancing with Norman Lear, which you won't be able to see in the audio, but you can hear it. That's Holy and shit. It's great. Yeah. It was amazing. It was so interesting. If anyone is interested in TV writing, you have to listen to it. Way to go, Ben Blacker. Yeah, and it's up right now, so you can get it Nerdist Writer's Panel. Fuck, I'm going to go listen to that oh immediately. Uh, top that, Kyle. See, when you said very special episode, I was hoping it was Ben Acker got like addicted to pills and Ben Blacker <laughs> to help him. That wouldn't be very special. I got, <laughs> I got a, a fun website called NewJerseyIsn'tBoring.com. Yeah. And uh, our friend Sid sent this in because he, uh, of the nerdy in New Jersey section. It's uh-huh. literally entirely dedicated to, we're talking comic book stores. Arcades, ghost tours, all right, like all sorts of cool stuff that you can do. Rocky Horror Picture screenings, stuff within New Jersey. So if you're a nerd, you're in New Jersey, and you think that it's boring, go to New Jersey isn't boring and be nerd proven wrong. Jersey. Nerd Jersey, <laughs> excellent. Thank you, Kyle. This episode is Andy Daly, uh, who is returning to promote review. On uh, CC.com, the Comedy Central app, and Hulu. Of course, it's had its run, its second season on Comedy Central. Hopefully, there'll be a third season. But Andy Daly is uh, one of the comedy entities that I will always stop whatever I'm doing to watch, especially if he's performing live. I just he- like looking at him. He makes me giggle. Because <laughs> like, you know he's up to something. He's so fucking funny. <laughs> he just makes such great, strong choices, comedy choices, and he commits the shit out of them. And they're always real weird choices that and you're like, this was the best choice. Oh, my God. Yeah. I adore him. And uh, we got to do Comedy Bang Bang together a couple years ago, and it was, it was so much fucking fun. Uh, anyway, Andy Daly review. Uh, see it on the internet. Here's Nerds <laughs> Podcast number 738 with Andy Daly. Now entering Nerdist.com. Just getting into Twilight Zone? 
Well, because I watched them as a kid, but I don't remember them. And we got to put together a list for her. Well, you have to watch the first one. It's called The Last Man on Earth, and you have to watch that one. That sets up the whole series. Uh, It just sort of. Next stop, Willoughby. Willoughby. Oh, then the Will- Oh, the Willoughby episode oh. is fucking great. They're all good. I mean, the thing they're of the thing, the thing that the thing. They're not all good. They're not all good. They're not all good. They're not all good, but there are. They're they're mostly all. It, the thing that was so interesting about it is that you know Serling was basically um, making a lot of social commentary, which at the time he was able to do because the show was surreal, and so he was able mm. to comment on. What was going on in culture without directly attacking anyone? So it's there's a lot of stuff in there about prejudice and a lot of stuff in there about uh, you know about the Cold War and paranoia and and mm. but there and but some of them get really great and psychological. You really have to. There should be all on Netflix, right? You can yeah. just start. Yeah, yeah. There's Twilight always Zone. a Fourth of July marathon too. You can right. wait till July. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's one called Eye of the Beholder, which is really great. Because uh, there, there's a big thing in there about people wanting to be beautiful all the time, oh, and, yeah. and vanity and narcissism. Uh. It's a, it's a, the shows. You know, I, I feel like even the bad ones are still. I mean, you probably don't. I, I would stop short at Twilight Zone and not drift into Night Gallery territory, which is the show that he did in the seventies. <laughs> but because uh, that's more of just like a weird Outer Limits horror type show. But uh, Twilight Zone. Spot on. I mean, it's you really have to. I can't believe I'm pitching the Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> you ever heard of the Twilight Zone? <laughs> Citizen Kane. I mean, there just wasn't. It, it, it just. The, it's you know, so many things. It might. It might seem boring to people now because you've seen stuff like that before. But they did it. It was. You have to understand when that came yeah. out. Sometimes the twist at the end is like, uh huh. Like it's. You know <laughs> what I mean. Sometimes the episode will just get you that, but. Still, it's worth the ride. The acting is always so – it's great. There are some looks phenomenal, good. phenomenal actors in there. Uh, and then people that you – it's weird to see older character actors that you recognize but in but young in in Twilight Zone. Right. Shatner's in an episode. He's in a couple Nimoy's in an episode. Isn't Nimoy in an episode? Nimoy's in an episode, Nimoy I think. Nimoy? Savalas. Saval- oh, <laughs> Talkie Tina. That's the Talkie yeah, Tina yeah, yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Man, what if this whole episode was just us going, oh, oh, and then the diner? Oh, and then the fortune teller? Yes. Oh, oh all the old people with the, all the family with the masks? The astronauts? Remember the astronauts? Oh, the astronauts! <laughs> Kitty, you love Agnes Moorhead, right? <laughs> Agnes Moorhead? <laughs> Star Bewitched? Huh? Come on, Katie. This is like this is just, this is just pitching pitching names to people that they just possibly. Burgess Meredith? Huh? Burgess Meredith? Love Burgess. Burgess Meredith. He's, he's the best. All Burgess. All Burgess. He's got some good ones. Oh, and then there's a phenomenal episode with Buster Keaton. That's the best one in my opinion. Uh, he. Um, so meta. It's so meta. It starts out uh, like an old timey movie where it's it's got the 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 dialogue cards oh. and then the piano. And he's moving around really fast, and it's basically him, like in the in the in the eighteen hundreds, and he's 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 a janitor for a scientist, and the scientist builds a time machine, and he talks about going into the future to this. It's very kind of H.G. Wells, but he goes into the future to live in this utopia because he wants to see the utopian society of the future, and he lands smack dab in the sixties, and then it all of a sudden there's sound and it's really loud, and he's it's him then trying to figure out how to get back because the future is actually. 
he does speak in the in the when he when he gets to present day in the sixties, uh, he finds out that it's a very dystopian future, and he wants to go back. Fast moving the eighteen hundreds. So it's all it's all good. It's all good, yo. That's what uh, Rod Serling could have said. It's all good, yo. Um. Yes. Anyway, uh, Andy Daly, we're here to talk about your show, The Twilight Zone. Oh, yes. <laughs> Wait, did you did you like the '80s Twilight Zone? Are you doing this now? Mm-hmm. Oh, have we been? <laughs> I got up and blew my nose in the middle of it. That's all right. <laughs> You're picking your butthole right now. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't do that if this was a show. It's just an audio podcast. Well, I know, but people can tell. Uh, people know when I. <laughs> Maybe Forrest should review a Twilight Zone. Uh, Maybe Forrest should review like a Twilight Zone twist or like right. an M. Night Shyamalan oh, thing where yeah. there's a weird – where you could review the, the, the surprise twist ending. I think that's exciting. Yes. Well, we sort of did with our, our racism segment. We, try, we thought of it as a, uh, as a Twilight Zone-esque episode where he's trying to determine what it's like to be a racist and then <laughs> discovers that he's been one all along. <laughs> <laughs> we did in the writing room talk about that like it's a Twilight Zone ending. <laughs> But you guys are you already you're already done now with season two, right? Yes, it's uh, episode seven has just aired, and we're uh, yeah we're 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 done making it. I hope to God we're done making it. I don't want any more emails about decisions that have to be made. <laughs> Do you not like that part? Would you rather just be a performer? Um, I, no, but I wish that that stuff were easier, and I wish you know I I wish it was just yeah I wish it took less time, and it was possible to just kind of. Always just always know the right decision to make in the moment when it has to be made and never look back, as opposed to lots of email volleys and lots of second guessing and lots of times when you're positive about something and then a week later you're you're subjected to your decision and go, No. <laughs> I was so sure. I was so sure. I I knew yeah. it. What yeah. was I thinking? <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, uh, that a is a lot of that. It goes on forever. I mean, post for us, post production was like seven months long. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was a long damn time. You must have a shit ton of extra footage. So much extra footage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so much extra footage and so much too because we'd have so much narration, you know, that that uh, we can go back later and rewrite and remake things in in huge ways because we have the device of this narration, which is a blessing and a curse. Because it's a writing job for a solid year. Oh, you know. God. Yeah. <laughs> it never ends. <laughs> now, are, would you want to do a season three, or are you ready? Yeah. To- no, for sure. Absolutely. Oh, it'd be so much fun to do a season three. I mean, yeah, I think there there may have been a time toward the end of Post before it started airing when I was like, you know, as I was saying, I was like um, Apollo Creed at the beginning of Rocky Two. There ain't going to be no rematch. <laughs> <laughs> ain't gonna be no rematch, but you know because it's the beginning of a movie. There's gonna be a rematch. He's yeah. saying it. You know he's lying. Yeah, they wouldn't just end the movie. That would be a weird. Yeah, a ten minute long Rocky two. Although it yeah. might have been better. Rocky two is not great. <laughs> no, no, no. They really tried to. And I can't decide if Rocky three is great. I remember loving it when I was a kid, but I haven't seen it since I was younger. I watched it pretty recently. It it is a remarkable. Jump in tone from two to three. Three, they just said, like, let's just hit the ground running. We got Hulk Hogan. We got Mr. T. This is fun, fun, fun. Yeah, and that, that, that one's all about hubris. Yeah. Basically. It's just a tight carnival ride, that thing. And then, whereas episode uh, Rocky 2, there's literally like 
a 45 minute shopping sequence like all the <laughs> and there's a massive <laughs> amount of time that he's looking for a job it's like it's so boring and then the 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 training sequence which you think of as like the big thing that happens in those movies is is like a minute long oh <laughs> wow so short well they really did cuz in 4 he like the, the they all really do kind of have an arc to them, which I can respect that fact. And then five is completely different than four. Five is the one, the only one I never saw. It's actually not bad. Really? He loses every. They lose everything. Oh, they because they they when they when they go to Russia, they leave Polly in charge of everything for some reason. <laughs> So it picks up right where it left off. It picks four. up right where it left off. And We're in, back in, from Russia. And in the beginning of five, he it starts off where he's wa- he's he's in the shower after the fight with Ivan Drago. Oh, and his hands are shaking because he's oh. been hit in the face so many times, sure. and he basically just got he basically just got hit by a guy the size of the Kremlin. Yes, and uh, and so he's part he's, robot. That guy was part part robot. robot. He's all he's all fucked up, and then for some reason, and this they kind of gloss over, but. I can't imagine they were in Russia for more than a few weeks, but for some reason they felt like that if someone wasn't manning their finances for a couple of weeks, that they were going to be ruined. So they turned everything over to Polly, who then ruined them. And then so they go back and they've lost everything somehow. They're very they're not clear about that. And so they just have to move back to the streets of Philadelphia, and you know Adrian back gets a Adrian gets a job working in the, the salon again, again or pet shop or yeah. whatever it is, and. You know, then Rocky takes on a protege, this guy named Tommy Gunn, who then that that fight sequence is the end is them street fighting. So oh. there's not even like a big boxing match in that. Rocky versus Tommy Gunn in the street. Rocky versus Tommy Gunn in the street. Yeah, they just fight each other in the streets of Philadelphia. Why have I never seen this? That sounds great. It's not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then that, and I actually haven't seen. I didn't see the one they just did a couple of years ago. That one I loved. It was good? Yes, I love it. Okay, I want to go it's back. It's just called Rocky Balboa, I think. Yeah. Uh, but it's good. He figured something out. What did he figure out? I, you know what? I heard him in an interview saying about Rocky 1, which, by the way, there's a whole big complicated thing as to whether or not he wrote that. You know, like, it's a whole thing. Like, that, that all sounds... There was an article a few years ago that there, that was, there was a lot of theatrics to that story, and, and we were sold kind of not the exact true story. But anyway, that he was saying that, like, he was like, if I could get at the, the themes, the big themes for this age that, uh, that I got at in Rocky One, that uh, that's what I would like to do with Rocky Balboa. And to whatever extent he succeeded or not, you can see that that was the effort of Rocky Balboa. Right. And, it, and it works on some level. I gotta go back and watch it. I yeah. never, I never, I don't know why I... You know, because I, uh, I guess I just sort of felt like, eh, it's probably more of the same business yeah. over and over and over know, and over I and over again. It. And then there was that old uh, Airplane 2 joke <laughs> where you see the poster and it says like Rocky 34 or whatever. And it's just this old guy with these gloves, like this yeah. decrepit old It was like man. a 90-year-old Asian man, if I recall. It really was. Like, it was. Like <laughs> What happened there? <laughs> Age doesn't explain it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, when Rocky gets a lot older, he just he just jumps races, and uh, it happens. You see it. If you want to win this, you got to be an old Asian man, Rock. <laughs> That's how committed I am. It happened ten movies ago. He turned Asian. <laughs> I uh, 
I, I, I feel like Stallone's done a pretty good job, though, uh, staying... Uh, I mean, The Expendables was a, a, a decent recent franchise. Yeah. Has he been in anything else in the last... Oh, oh yeah, that actually... The trailer for that looked pretty cool, actually. What the hell? It's kind of impressive, you know, to like keep a franchise, you know... Yeah. Going for 40 years. So, you know, we're getting a new Rocky movie, a new Star Wars movie. I'm happy to be done with Rambo. Yep, that's all done. That's done, right? I feel like that's got to be all done. Right? Good. Although Rambo, there could be Son of Rambo. You know, I know there was Son of Rambo, the joke. There was? Oh. But there, as a joke. Oh. But I feel like there could be, there could be another John Rambo. I'm, I, I'm surprised it hasn't been fired up yet. I'm actually surprised that that hasn't. It's, it's probably it in the works. But, you know, there's probably a million uh, things that we'll never hear about because they're just stuck in studio development land. Mm, yep, that's probably true. What mm-hmm. would you go back and redevelop if you could? <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm very curious to know about the um, – there was talk of a sequel to Midnight Run. Midnight Run is one of my favorite movies of, of all course. time. Of course. And I know – I saw an interview with Charles Grodin where he was <laughs> – he goes, uh, I have been told that someone is going to visit me to try to – get me to do the sequel to Midnight Run, and I have uh, expressed my willingness to meet with this person. <laughs> that, was like, that was his statement on it. it was just it's like, a bummer that, he doesn't, that you don't see him more. I know. I think he doesn't like to travel. Uh, he'll do, yeah, I, and I also read a thing with him. With Louis C.K. wrote him a nice note and said, like, here, it's a job in New York, and I'd love you to do it. And he was, he was very receptive to a nice note. Right. So if you're shooting on the East Coast, if it's a drive from his home in Connecticut, and the note is nice enough, you can get him. Then Charles Grodin, then he'll, then he'll do it. So maybe he the Midnight Run people just need to put pen to paper. Right. Just Robert De Niro's got to say, like, you know, dear Chuck, it's Bobby. I, you know, let's let, let's put on the running yeah. shoes, quote unquote, one more time. <laughs> Shoots in Hartford. Let me pitch this at midnight run, right? So we get oh. Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro on the panel. Yes. De Niro would be great on At Midnight. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Charles Grodin would be great on At Midnight. I would have Charles Grodin, Grodin on in a second. Oh my I would God. have Charles Grodin on in a second. I don't think he'll travel. What do you think Nobody about the, What do you think about the intern, the De Niro movie that's coming? I actually auditioned for that. I movie. so did I. You did. <laughs> I never I auditioned for anything. I did. That's so funny. And I auditioned for it. <laughs> and, and how did it go for you? Uh, I, I'm not in it. Um, <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. I don't even remember. I think I auditioned to be like a jerky boss or something like that. Or? I auditioned to be... Yeah, like jerky coordinator of the interns or something like that. I auditioned to be Anne Hathaway's husband. Oh, okay. And I, was, I, I didn't get that. You didn't get that. No. Um, well, people are making all these jokes about it. Why are they? Are they meant to be romantically linked? I probably did not read the entire script. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> At least sometimes I do. The version sometimes that I, I saw, I they were not meant to be romantically linked. I thought that was what everybody was goofing on because there seems to be it seems to be shall we say trending on Twitter, the Hathaway and De Niro, and I thought that the oh, joke I hope is not. Yeah, I don't want to see that in, in the a version romance. that I saw in the in the in the. In the the version that I read, they do not. Okay. No, not to give any spoilers, <laughs> but it was more of an uh, it was more of an avuncular relationship uh-huh. uh, than uh, you know. Because they go to fucking now, like it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, which <laughs> <laughs> why did that make you giggle? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we've all learned the very valuable lesson here today. Uh, you could take charge of your own. <laughs> 
No, that's my Hathaway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that I buy. I buy it as a Hathaway. <laughs> These are my uh, Princess Diaries. Uh, it turns out uh, this is uh, Harry Potter for girls. And uh, I'm now a princess. <laughs> Hello, Julie Andrews. <laughs> are you talking to me, Julie Andrews? That's the fucking okay. words. What's that? That's Hathaway as De Niro? <laughs> Very confusing, but it works. It works. I don't know if it works. <laughs> what is your worst impersonation? My worst impersonation? I God, I don't know. You're not They're really an impressionist. Bad. No, I'm not an impressionist. I was just thinking about. I'll tell you my best impression, please, because that's is I I when I auditioned for Saturday Night Live in 1999, I knew I had to do impressions. Like that's part of the deal, and I've never really tried them before. But the only one that I did. Was Hunter S. Thompson as like a 60, 62 year old man? Uh huh. Because <laughs> I saw him in an interview once in Charlie Rose, and he's just going, uh, he, he never finished a sentence, was the best part. <laughs> and Charlie Rose just, just just barrels into the next question because every answer is, well, yeah, I mean, um, Richard Nixon was responsible for um, bringing, you know, only uh, driving all of the best people out of politics and, and Clinton, you know, Clinton, of course. But, you know, well, I don't live with that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just made no sense. Yeah, that was my impression. I thought you were going to go back and forth. You're going to do Charlie, and then go oh, back Charlie, into... right? Yeah. Well, Charlie spent that interview. Right, right, right. And then, and then you wrote the Rum Diary. <laughs> so they, they were just neither one of them. <laughs> right? They were just having individual conversations. <laughs> exactly. That yeah. that sort of crossed over because they were sitting across from yeah. each other. It was frustrating to watch because I was waiting. I was like, Is, he's got to pull it together. He's got to pull it together and make a full sentence out of this. And then Charlie Rose would ask the next question. I don't think I've ever seen Charlie Rose blink. I feel I feel like, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if I've, if I've watched him. I just stare, and it was like sooner or later he's got a blink, and then I don't, I don't actually. They cut away. No, they, they yeah, they always cut away from the blink. I don't actually see it, see it happening. I, just, I wonder if someone's just leaning in and just doing with the eyedropper, just like just moistening his eyeballs. I don't know, but it, I don't know if I've ever actually, yeah, ever actually seen him. He's blink. odd. He's reptilian. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if that would be a fun show to do or a terrifying show to do I, it looks scary to me it looks i don't know what it is about the sparseness of the space that it's just like it's just you and him and you better have answers to every one of these fucking questions because <laughs> he pretty much owns i really i would so love to find out what his process is i've heard he's a hellraiser charlie rose believe it or you not mean in real life like he parties like a motherfucker charlie rose you're i think a lot of those old like, news guys probably do yeah Oh really? Yeah. Maybe when wow. they're reaching over the eyedropper, it's just like scotch. They're just like they're just they're just moistening his eyes with scotch, yeah. and he's just absorbing it right there. Yeah. Those so guys, he and Thompson were both just completely hammered during that interview. They how amazing no would it be if they it. just went down? Like they, there must have been an epic drink off down. Oh, yeah. In whatever. So are we gonna studio. fucking do this right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I mean, we're going on a piece of trying to. You're not gonna mumble uh, your way out of this one, pussy. We'll be right back. And they just come back, and there's just a stack of empty glasses. And they're, they're, doing the, they're doing the Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Bastardi! Of course, if you get enough ice, uh, get, put in your glass. <laughs> that would be amazing. The epic drink-off between Charlie Rose and Hunter S. Thompson. There must be. He must have the best. There's so much about Charlie Rose that I would love to dissect. But I yeah. just don't know if you could. I just don't know if he would make himself available in that in that way. Yeah, right. I don't know. I'm sure he's had a fascinating life. 
Would he be the interviewee for once? I yeah, that's the question. Has he ever been? The I'm sure he has. I'm sure someone's. Because what an interesting juxtaposition that is. If he is out fucking partying every night like a wild man, and then he comes and sits at that wooden table in front of that black curtain <laughs> and gives the most staid professional interviews. But some of those guys, like some of those, if he is, again, I don't know. But if if he is one of those those old grizzled career drinkers, right. There's a certain type of person that could literally drink until four in the morning, go home, sleep for an hour, get up, shower, yeah. throw on some aqua velva, and then be <laughs> right at your desk right. the next morning. I mean, it sort of feels like a. I would imagine sort of they, 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 they probably. They probably smell like the newsroom from all the president's men, like those old <laughs> newsrooms that are just yeah. like leathery ashtrays. <laughs> you know, like they. He, Everybody slept in their suits. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they're just it's just a nonstop <laughs> just nonstop drinking. It just never, ever, Cigarettes, ever stops. Yeah. yeah. Breakfast scotch, lunch yeah. vodka. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> then the then head over to the But I was I think uh the downside to that lifestyle is I think when you when you hit like sixty, seventy, yeah. I think your body is it's not I would hope so. Not, him, not. <laughs> I would hope there are some repercussions for living like that. <laughs> I feel like our generation probably has the highest number of responsible, like more responsible. Like people are so much more aware now. I know people still do drink yeah. a lot and do a lot of drugs and stuff, but I think our generation is probably a little bit more aware of what the repercussions of all that that lifestyle are. Yeah. Yeah, it's an odd thing that like you, you would not have been labeled an alcoholic for drinking uh, like getting pretty buzzed during lunch every single day as a businessman like what 30 years ago. I mean, I would imagine you and I are similar in the sense that it doesn't seem like you go and tear shit up. No. A- at all. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe I've ever torn any shit up. I'm just glad that we I'm just glad that, you know, that that a handful of because there is that sort of there is that 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 mythos of of the comedian or the performer. It's like, oh, they're so they got to be super damaged and super fucked up, and that's what oh. makes them fun. And I feel like you don't, you know, that's a nah. choice. But yeah. you, you could also just be pretty even keeled and still still be funny. Yeah, <laughs> I have that thing too of like you know, uh, comedians always have a troubled past. It's kind of like. Probably the same number of accountants have like rough childhoods. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just not ironic. <laughs> so, there's, there's no like, yeah, you know, the tears of a clown. Yeah, that people like to talk it's, about. It's okay to be. It's okay to be happy in general. I think it's. it's yeah, it's all right. It's right. Not, it's not. It's not terrible. I don't think it ruins anything. You right. Know, you can still. Yeah. You can still deconstruct things without you know. Yes, probably it helps for for a comedian to have felt like an outsider at various times, right? Because it gives you a different perspective, I would right. think. But but then again, John Belushi was like, you know, class president, captain of the football team and whatever, and didn't, that didn't seem to stop him from being hilarious. But maybe inside he felt like an outsider. Yes. You never know. As I, an Albanian. <laughs> that's probably... You know. <laughs> he may have felt... But I, you know, I, I, I really did used to. Th- I, I wonder if everyone feels like an outsider. You mm-hmm. know, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, when I was growing up and being, you know, like the group that I was in, felt very outcast. But I wonder if even the kids who were popular, do you think they feel outcast at all, or do you think that maybe they don't and they're just shallow? Uh my perception now of people who were popular in high school. 
it, it, with all this uh, hindsight, is that that was a, a desperate place to be, actually, <laughs> that it was hard to maintain that position and that it was insecure. But I don't know if that's true, if, if that's just me putting that on it all these years later. Yeah, because mm. I, I, there definitely is this syndrome, the, the peaking early syndrome, mm. you know, and, right. and I think I think when you're young and things are are very easy for you in terms of, you know, popularity, people just wanting to going out of their way to try to please you, that it doesn't generally, unless you're broken in some other way, it doesn't really force you to be very introspective because mm. you don't have to be. You can live very much in the external world mm-hmm. and everything's brought to you and you don't really have to second guess things or think about things because it all just comes and i think you know being ostracized (laughs) does force you to (laughs) become more introspective because you have to you start asking a lot of questions well why is this this way why is this not easy for me what am i doing wrong and what's this and i think it sort of forces you inward which going too far inward i think is also uh Mm -hmm. detrimental yeah and i guess it also forces you to say like you know what 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 is my way you know to uh, proactively feel successful in life, as opposed to somebody who's just like, I'm good at this thing and everybody loves me for it, so here we go. Yeah. You know. I uh, Did you ever, what group were you in when you were in high school? In high school, was I even in a group? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, well, I had an odd existence in high school because my friends were um, very smart and very well accomplished and very. Uh, headed for Ivy League schools and stuff like that, and those were my friends. But my grades were very terrible. But I, <laughs> but I sort of hung with that crowd, and I was in a band of people who were all going to go on to good schools. Like you know, we were in a in a rock band, and I was kind of I was the only one that was <laughs> secretly fucking out of class. You look like you'd have good grades. You had I the know. right haircut and glasses. Right. For it. <laughs> <laughs> I had kind of long hair in high school. I was trying to be a hippie, but didn't quite know how to pull it off. Sure. So that that was a problem. <laughs> But um, no, I don't know. I really, I, I never had. I just, I couldn't do things I wasn't interested in. Just I couldn't, I could not apply myself to things that didn't interest me. But even then, even though I was interested in English and history, let's say I had no interest in math or science. Like I just could not engage. But even the things I was interested in, I would turn in papers weeks and weeks late, <laughs> all the time. Every paper I ever got back had like an A crossed out and then a D for lateness. Here's what you could have had. Yeah, yeah, again and again. But... I don't really know why. I've never quite known exactly why I did that. But except that <clears throat> maybe there was something fun about living in that kind of chaos because it was very stressful. But it, or or maybe it just maybe it was just hard to motivate yourself, like you said, to do stuff that didn't interest you. I mean, it's it, you know, it's yeah. that is a very hard lesson to learn. Well, yeah, sometimes you got to do shit you don't like doing, and when yeah. you're young, you you know, you can still get away with. Yeah, don't feel like this. You yeah. know, if you don't really care about what college you're going to, right? Th- that's 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 kind of the only motivating factor for why you should work hard in school is like, well, you, you know, later in life, or if you mm-hmm. if you don't go to this college, you don't go to this. You're gonna die because right. you can't survive and get a job. But if but if you remove that, there isn't really much right. outside of your own sense of achievement that would motivate you to turn shit in on time. Yeah, right. So I would read a book and I would I would enjoy it up to the point where I got bored with it, which is what I do now in life. Like I oh I'm enjoying a book, but I don't need to finish it, you know, and put it away, you know, or whatever. And then I'd write a paper on it if it, if I felt like I had something to say about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was kind of the way I approached school because the threat. Of not going to a good college, not getting into college didn't mean anything to me because I I had no vision of myself in the professional world later. I just couldn't see, couldn't see that until 
uh, I read an unauthorized biography of David Letterman that said that he went to college and majored in communications at Ball State doing television and radio. And, I, and that was like, oh, you can do that. Okay. Now I can imagine myself going to college. That was the first time I God, I've, I've wasted all this time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've really fucked myself. It's too late now. Well, I, I, it, it is kind of funny to think back about how terrified, you know, when I was in school, how terrified it was for, well, if I don't get, you know, good grades, I'm not going to go to college. And if I don't do that, but when I look back, I'm like, oh, I don't know if that, I mean, I guess I did. it didn't really matter. I mean, it, it, it is, I think it's more for your own sense of, you should learn how to acquire knowledge and you should learn how to be able to do that because that skill set is helpful in other areas. Mm-hmm. But in and of itself, when I look back now, I sort of think like, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, sure. But yeah. you impose that upon yourself or other people and your parents tell you like, okay, your permanent record is very important. Right. But I don't know how – I mean, it hasn't re- my permanent record hasn't really – my permanent academic record hasn't really affected me much nope. in, in quite a while. No, I don't that get that. I'm aware of. <laughs> I, I mean, get asked about my GPA very often. And you're doing, you're doing very well with you. You've completed shows and series yeah. and movies, and you didn't leave your kid in a diner because you were just bored, right? You know, like so. It seems like you came out well, okay. even in high school. Like the things that I was really interested in, I I worked at around the clock, like tirelessly. I got tirelessly into things, but I just had, did not have time for things I wasn't interested in. So I don't know what kind of education I should have had, but. <laughs> It does feel like there are some there are some like private school educations that are tailored toward people like that. Like, oh, here's what you're interested in. Go that way. What, you so know. you were in a band? Yeah, I was in a band. What yeah. did you play? I played drums. You did? Yeah. Do you still play? I do. Sometimes I have an electronic drum set I bought to be more considerate to my neighbors, but it's not as fun. Because <laughs> you can't really, yeah, you can't really feel. You, you're not disrupting anything. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think in a percussive instrument, you kind of want to be a little disruptive. I think so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit, hitting pads. Yeah. Or you know, or drumming on your steering wheel. Right. Is not as uh, <laughs> just see dudes practicing, just drumming on their steering wheels in traffic. Yeah, you can tell. Maybe That's not, a drummer. That's maybe, a frustrated drummer. That is a, fr- that is a guy. Mm-hmm. That's someone who's trying to learn their craft. Yeah. A little bit more. I think I need to get a real drum set. And just <laughs> because after I bought the electronic drum set, I suddenly noticed various places in my neighborhood people are playing real drums. Nobody gives a shit. They don't. You know, but you also you're not doing it after eleven o'clock at night. You know, I'd still feel bad though. I'd I would. Bad. I do. Yes. Yes, I do. I do feel bad because I'm very much aware of when other people. I, I I just I have a real pet peeve about about people affecting the experience of everyone around them and being oblivious to it. There was a woman in Starbucks a couple of days ago, and she was waiting at the counter, and she had a small, adorable dog, but the dog was on a really long leash, oh. and she was just gabbing on the phone, and yeah. the dog was running all around the Starbucks and kind of forcing people to have to step over the lead or not trip with their <laughs> drinks. no idea. No fucking interest or yeah. care that, you know... Stuff like that makes me scared for how many times in life I'm doing things that I have no well, that's idea why, that I'm doing it. But the fact that you even have that thought means right. that it's not... And, the, and if you did, I feel like you would catch yourself. Even if for a second you were like, oh, I'm sorry, and you would, you would scoop up the dog and right. hold the small dog so I that everyone so. else didn't have to I trip so. over it. Right. <laughs> And, uh, and and so because of that, I, I really do my best to try to be aware in public situations. A- am I affecting everyone else in this immediate – or like dudes – there are dudes who just sit on airplanes and just fucking watch videos on their f- iPhones with no headphones. Yeah. Or just talk on speakerphone 
Yes. In a in a small intimate space. I don't know how loud my conversations are on my cell phone though when my ear when my earbuds are in. You know what I mean? That's something that recently occurred to me because sometimes there'll be somebody on an airplane or something like that before it takes off who is yelling into the phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to pick us you can pick us up at yeah. uh, we're going to land around 4. <laughs> right. And then we got to get the luggage. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I went to the doctor. I had it checked out. It's still it's kind of in the it looks like a cauliflower. <laughs> There's a little bit of chalking. I don't know. Oh, hang on. They're telling me I gotta turn off the phone. I just don't I don't know what's going through people's heads when they are in public and yeah. shouting on phones or playing phone or playing things with that. Yeah. I think they just literally don't give a shit. That's probably it. Yeah. There are people that just don't give a shit. And are they wrong or are we wrong? I think they're wrong. Yeah, I think they're wrong. Because nobody's nobody's annoyed with you if you do give a shit. <laughs> There's no way to give a shit too much. I guess. About disturbing people. Do you uh how many kids do you have? Two. You have two kids. Yeah. Have you traveled with them? Yes. And so what's that situation like? Um, that's fine. Actually, it's weird how fine it is to spend an entire day traveling across the country. With an eight-year-old and a three-year-old is always something we are braced for disaster, and it always is a delight. <laughs> how, how did you manage to... Well, because of iPads and headphones. That's really the answer. It's as simple as that. You just load up the iPad the night before with things that, that they, they can't believe they get to sit here and watch all Red day. tube. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. All that stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> X-hamster, you know. It's yeah. <laughs> X-hamster. <laughs> <laughs> these, are t- <laughs> these are, I'm guessing, I don't know, right? Kyle? <sighs> what? I don't know if she's making those up. <laughs> True for what? Why would you put X and hamster together? <laughs> you can see the logo clearly in your head and close your eyes. What? <laughs> well, I assume it's probably some sort of a, a hamster. I'm I, guessing. What was on the splash page, Dick Chris? <laughs> it was... Uh, <laughs> Something to do with bowel control. I don't know. I'm just, guess, I'm just guessing. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I just think I think Andy is pleased that he's on a podcast and the person at the other end isn't looking him up while. <laughs> while I've had that experience. He's being interviewed. I have had that. What are you looking at at your screen the entire time we're talking? Well, that's my IMDb page. <laughs> this is interesting. And this person, this person that we won't name, whose podcast you were on, this 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 person with the Deadwood aesthetic who lives in a garage, you you Deadwood aesthetic. <laughs> you guys know each other, right? Uh-huh. Yes, for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and the entire time looking at your IMDb page. Yeah. It's like, are you reading your emails while you're interviewing me? What is ha- what could be on that screen? <laughs> oh, I see. It's basic information about me. <laughs> and you got blonde hair. <laughs> yeah. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you were in the cast of Mad TV from 2000 to 2002. <laughs> yes. <laughs> your your appearance your appearances as self also include <laughs> Late, Late Show formerly with Craig Ferguson. What was that like? Well, that was a 
a time. <laughs> it was a time. But anyway, we, we were talking about it anyway. <laughs> Maybe Ian McShane has a podcast, and that's what we were talking about. I don't, could be anybody. That could be could anybody. anybody. Could be anybody. Or no one at all. Or nobody. It could yeah. be nobody at all. No one, we don't. Probably. We just don't know. We can't yeah. prove it was. It was everyone and no one. Yes, exactly. That's like the, the Twilight Zone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when everyone is beautiful, then no one will be. <laughs> Kid, you've got to watch the Twilight Zone. I mean, seriously. <sighs> It is the unfortunate thing about, you know, I think that's where the disconnect happens is that, you know, so many things, although I do believe Twilight Zone holds up, but so many things we see as children and they expand the, the scope of what, we, of, of what we think an entertainment can be. So in our heads, they're the greatest things ever. And then when you're an adult and you show another adult something they haven't seen, sometimes yeah. that connection is just not there because you've seen so many things between then and now. But right. anyway, try to keep an open mind. <laughs> try to keep an open mind. <laughs> because you don't, you just try to understand. Yes. I mean, you must have that with your kids. Is there anything yeah. that you've shown them that you're like, oh, you have to see this? Or do you let them discover their own entertainment? Well, I'll tell you what I did. I, I um, uh, through a big event, we rented out is it the, the, the former silent movie theater. Is that Cine Family or Cine Cine Family, Space? Yeah. Cine Family to show the original 1977 Star Wars. No fucking around, like the actual 77. And bunch of kids, big screen. They loved it. But then that that it was a production to put that together, and they were curious about the next movie. So I put on Empire Strikes Back at home, and it was like, eh. yeah. <laughs> you know Not, what I mean, I mean, I mean, when you're an adult, you realize that's the best one. Yeah. But I think when you're a kid, it's just too. And then so they swung back around with Jedi. You know, I haven't Jedi. shown them Jedi yet. I'm Jedi, scared. they'll probably love. They'll probably love. They it, probably yeah. will because it's much more. That's I think that's when they were like, well, let's make it kid friendly, and that's yeah. why they, Ewoks you know, they made whatnot. Ewoks because they couldn't make a planet of Wookies, which was supposed to be the original idea was supposed to be a right, Wookie planet, right, right. and then um, yeah. and then or the the the, fort, the Endor. And uh, yeah. and so yeah, Ewoks, House Wookies, basically. I don't know what to do about parts one and two though. She wants to see them. Oh, you mean like a Phantom Phantom Menace? Yeah, and yeah. you know, I've actually heard really that kids love those. I'm sure. So you 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 can show them. You know, you can show them. I know. No, no. Kyle, Kyle wants them. Kyle wants them stricken from the record. Yeah. Well, they ought to be. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're about to be. I mean, they're about to be now. I mean, with For- with Force Awakens, I think it's going to be yeah, epically amazing. I think so too. But does it? I, I oh, well, I mean, we get really into the weeds on it. But what are those things? Midi chlorides, midi chlorines, midi chlorines. Yeah, midi chlorines. Yeah. I understand that those. I have been told that that is not a factor in the Force Awakens. It probably isn't because I think that was the one thing that was that, the thing that really that bummed out. Off. That yeah. bummed out, bummed out a lot of people. Like if you, you know, it, you don't. It's like if you were to watch Harry Potter and then someone was to be like, well, um, oh, we've learned that all the wizarding powers are basically just this molecule. I mean, it, you don't, there are some mystical things that you don't need to explain away with science. And I think, you know, midichlorians is sort of yeah. – have you heard that in a writer's room before? Like when you're – I've heard that before when something is getting too granular with why it exists and then people go, midichlorians. And it's nah. like, well, you don't need to explain <laughs> that. Right. You don't need to explain that. No, I've never heard that thrown out, but we've definitely had those kind of conversations at, on review. Because, like, and it's a tough one. It is a really hard one to like. To what extent does something need to be really plausible and really rooted in the real world and really, you know? Because it's, I think it's satisfying to an audience when they can't poke holes in things, right? You know, but you can also go way too far. You can really over-explain things, and you can just take the fun out of something. By by just hyper over explaining it, it can be hard though because when you know what the narrative is, the risk is that you forget to let the audience in. Yeah, 
And and then all of a sudden you're just like a weird aunt telling a story about the family when someone has none of the reference points. Right. You know Larry. But no. <laughs> anyway, well, he was at it again. Uh, Went to clown college. Yeah. Just like always. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. You know, mm-hmm. but then how do you, you know, what what do you think is the balance between jokes and exposition, especially with a narrative show, with a show that has a narrative like like review? Well, like on our show, people, sometimes people will say like, will comment on the fact that there are cameras and that nobody seems to see the cameras and who knows what Forrest is up to and who doesn't know what Forrest is up to. And it's like, yeah, yes, we could hog up a lot of screen time explaining that in a way that everybody would go, ah, okay. Got it. That's not the reaction you wanted a comedy right, show. Exactly. Oh, interesting. <laughs> all the facts seem to be in order. <laughs> it all lines up, and now I can enjoy myself. This checks but, out. Oh, yes. the credits are rolling. <laughs> right. I had no time for any of the jokes. Well, at least I understand where he was coming from. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. You know, I'm not, theoretically, there's a middle ground in there, but we've just decided to just say, like, can we just go and have fun? Let's just have fun. Let's yeah. Just start from fun and end on fun. You know. And do you feel like, what do you think was the biggest thing that you learned between season two and season one? Oh, I I don't know if I would think of it as something, gosh, what did we learn? Uh, I mean, when, you, when, you, when you finally sat down and got to watch season one as an audience member and yeah. not as someone in the edit bay trying to make decisions on what jokes to keep and cut, mm. did, you, did you do that? Did you watch it as just a, as just a viewer to see how it hit yes, you? Yes, I did. I watched it when it aired. Um, but it, it, it's fascinating what what happens there when you when you spend so much time working on something and you're in the weeds on every single decision that's that's being made throughout the entire production and then it gets loosed upon the world and people have their own interpretations that you never imagined people are drawing conclusions you never thought they would and it just it just is what it is it's no longer a a collection of decisions at all it's it's a half hour of television it's a story all those decisions have been made and so it's a very different experience watching it um, it's much more enjoyable. <laughs> but did you make mental notes the whole time? Like, okay, next season we're not going to do that, or we're not going to do this, or that was strange, or no more of this? I can't... I'm sure we did, but I can't remember any of those. I mean, one thing we did kind of say, but this was a discussion, is, is that in season one there are certain reviews that feel like they could have moved to anywhere in the season because they're... They, they're not deeply rooted into what is going on in Forrest's life with his relationship and everything else. And... It felt like those had a little less power to them. Right. So that in season two, we kind of wanted to do a better job of just saying, like, everything is enmeshed with Forrest's life. You know, every every topic he takes on, there's never a topic he'll just take on that doesn't in some way correspond with everything else that's going on in his life and and involve the people in his life. Um, So that was one thing. But I don't know. In general, for season two, we just kind of said, let's just let's just go crazier. Now, because I'm not sitting in front of your IMDb page. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Have you been on three seasons of a show? Have you have you have you been on a show that's gone for three seasons? Not really. I mean, I was uh, I was in the second and third seasons of Eastbound and Down, but only like as a guest, like tangentially. So because it because I'm sort of wondering what that. The leap from, you know, season one usually seems to be, we're figuring this out. Right. Season two is, okay, we've really started to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And season three is usually when a show, and not always, but usually when a show kind of makes that meteoric leap of, uh. now we got it down, how do we kind of raise the stakes and lock in, you know? Mm. So, do you, have you thought about 
what season three would be yet, or would you do anything differently, or would it be, you know, like, have you thought about how do we raise the stakes, or do you think it, because of the type of show it is, you don't necessarily need to do anything stunty like that? I don't think we do, but I, but I, and I also really have been kind of trying not to, because the, the experience of making season two, and one, but somehow two even more so, was so intense, and so... Uh, mentally and emotionally <laughs> exhausting throughout that I have been trying to kind of take a break from thinking about it altogether. But of course, thoughts creep in from time to time of different things that can happen. And I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's, but there, there's some ways in which um, this season seems to be raising questions that it might be interesting to address in season three. All right. <laughs> I, because I I don't know if comics really get enough credit for... I mean, it's, it, is exa- it, is, it is mentally... It is exhausting. Yeah. And I just challenge anyone who's like, well, it's not that hard. Just try, try riffing with someone for like four hours. Oh. To just nonstop, where yeah. you have to... Keep the story making mm-hmm. sense, but also add information that's useful for the next person, making choices, and just keep that going for several hours where you have to be that focused and then just see what happens to your brain at the end of that time <laughs> where you don't just feel like, I don't yeah. know who I am. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it always seems so effortless with you, though. That's the thing with your your comedy seems so effortless and you don't waste any words oh you make strong choices and you're super committed and you lock in right away and it it doesn't ever seem like you're trying to search or find stuff it seems like my favorite thing about riffing with you is that you just immediately lock into something uh yeah i try to (laughs) but i will say like as far as review anyway by the time we get to the set and we're doing the things that you're seeing there is a mindset that takes hold of just like uh, a very positive, spontaneous. We're we're going with this. We're doing it. We're committed, and we're having fun. But there, but the entire three months that leads up to that is a very intense and difficult period of of decision making and refining. And you know that's where it's stressful. And then the post production is stressful because we've shot so much great stuff and we have to make hard, hard decisions. That that's the part that's really hard. But actually, when we're when we're doing it. If it looks effortless, I, I think it is because everybody there is just like, we've done the hard work, more hard work is coming, this is play. Are you even thinking about who the character is? Like when we did the thing on Bang Bang where you were the you were the I was honorary the, yeah, mayor of Hollywood. Candidate for the honorary mayor of Hollywood. Honorary yeah, mayor of Hollywood exactly. but actually, oh, and your fun. thing of like, I, I hold no political power. What is so <laughs> difficult for you to understand about <laughs> right, this? Because right, right. we were hitting you with questions about, well, who's going to fix all yeah. the potholes on Vine? Right. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, when you're – are you defining who that character is as you're going along? Do you have strong thoughts about – are you – I guess you can't really be thinking about it, right? Is it just all instinct for you at that point? Yeah, I mean that's a character I've I've uh, done him a few times. I've done him on Comedy Bang Bang podcast and on my own podcast. And I, and I sort of wrote a bit, like a 10-minute you know, stage bit for that character to do and came prepared for that Comedy Bang Bang TV taping to – hit a lot of those beats but was delighted <laughs> completely <laughs> delighted that the two of you had other questions and then yeah no it wasn't there wasn't a lot of thinking for me about how this character would respond to those questions because because i i think i knew what he was there 
what the character felt he was there to say and do. <laughs> and so any sort of you know digression from that is just like he's going to dispatch with it as quickly as he can. And then the more you guys frustrate that desire of his, the more fun we're going to have. I feel, like we, I, I feel like we were... I feel like we were playing with that for like an hour. Yeah, the, like those those shoots are remarkably. Those long. shoots are fascinating. Yeah, they're, yes. it's really great. I mean, yeah. you know, like that, there's another show that has so much extra footage. Oh my god! That I'm sure that they could cut a whole separate series just based on the stuff they didn't use. No kidding. I mean, I think we did one like. Probably we did like one 20 minute long take or something like that. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, I think we got it. <laughs> really? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and and, then, and okay, it's great. You, st- you, and then you stabbed me at the end, and then that was yeah, it. That's like, right. you, you made a blood sacrifice mm-hmm. to go. That's right, because you turned out to be a You're Satan. All these shards of glass. You were a Satanist, right? Yes, Wasn't right. that it? Yes, or you, right. you were trying to bring about the end of times or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. Part of He's got two campaign promises one is to bring production back to Hollywood, and the other is to conjure Satan and serve it. <laughs> His unholy side <laughs> in darkness, rule the world in darkness. Uh, just so please uh, elect me, honorary mayor of Hollywood. Yeah. My other favorite character was the um, the the first one I ever saw you do, which was the the, the old man, the old guy. The old oh yeah, how did that one come? About? Did I have a name? Uh, ben Alterman, I named him uh, because the first time I ever did that character and needed to come up with a name for him, Kent Alterman was in the audience. Oh, Kent Alterman, yes, yes. one of the guys who runs Comedy Central. Yeah, I came to see it at uh, Improv Olympic that night. Um, that character, I wrote a filthy joke. Uh, it, it just a filthy joke came to me, and I thought I can't tell that joke on stage. That's disgusting. But <laughs> can I come up with a character who could? <laughs> That's the beauty of characters, though. Exactly. You get a layer of protection. You can say the most hateful things on stage because, as a character, because that's yes. You know, you don't mean that. You don't mean it. I don't mean it. You're framing it in this. You know. Oh, it's so much fun. (laughs) And I also love it when the characters are belligerent to the audience. That is so satisfying (laughs) to be belligerent to your audience and to know that the audience knows, like the guy behind that character doesn't hate us right <laughs> the, Andy, the character does Andy Daly is a very sweet right. wonderful guy but uh, Ben Alterman is saying the worst <laughs> exactly yeah that's wonderfully satisfying I just did a few shows in San Francisco and Seattle and Portland and uh, taking questions from the audience doing just crowd work as characters and uh, yeah it was an incredible amount of fun which characters I did uh, Dalton Wilcox the cowboy poet the poet laureate of the west who's uh <laughs> Who's <laughs> also terrified? He's also believes himself to be constantly under attack by vampires. <laughs> just another thing about it. That's just a fact of my life. So you feel like yeah. at any moment a vampire could come streaming through the? Absolutely, and there's a decent chance that all three of you are vampires right now. <laughs> but it's daylight. It's a... I mean, we'd be burning up if we were. Well, your ignorance about vampires is appalling. That they get away with anything these days. I, and I'm curious. And now I'm confused because do yeah. vampires work their way into your poetry? Oh, sure. <laughs> what yeah. does that do with the Old West? <laughs> I don't understand. What's the cross? <laughs> so, well, one of the poem, my poem about vampires features a lot of vampires, 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 vampires with fangs as sharp as new barbed wire. <laughs> so it's Western themed vampire poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Vampire poetry of the Western theme. 
Because a lot of you, you know, people are sick of vampire poetry being so gothic. Yes, precise. So gothic and emo and like someone. You're really a voice yeah. for the for the for the West. His poems are called uh, I forget what the vampire poems. The other one is uh, and also mummies. <laughs> and then he's got a poem called I one time killed a Frankenstein. <laughs> Well, your Literally. album, uh, Undeadwood, was really uh, <laughs> flooring. What, so you do that character? I did that, and then I did, um, oh, Don DeMello, the theatrical director of the uh, Rockettes uh, Radio City Music Hall Christmas Spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a variation on that old man character you saw back in the day. But uh, I don't think I know that one. Don DeMello? No. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, this, that character came out of, I saw an ad for the Radio City Music Hall Christmas Spectacular. It's got Santa Claus and a live nativity scene with animals on stage. And then it's got this kick line of leggy dancers. And that <laughs> just seemed to be like, we just accept that. Yes, at some point, the Rockettes will come out and, and do the can-can with the uh, Santa Claus on stage. But if you think about it, why is that happening in the, in the children's show? Why is this holdover from the Moulin Rouge and the and the, the Ziegfeld Follies going on there? What's that for? And so the thought was just, who's in charge? of that and he's just the most lecherous disgusting human being <laughs> that ever walked the earth is it weird to put a bunch of ladies dancing in front of the nativity scene <laughs> <laughs> oh it's beautiful bring out the girls <laughs> and his whole thing is that that's all he's interested in he treats them like garbage <laughs> just a monster and so do that character and for that guy to take questions although it was weird in san francisco the first question don DeMello got was a woman yelled why are you such a misogynist and his answer was because it's the only thing that works. Some people booed, and it was a very weird thing that happened. You're like I'm doing it. First of all, it sounds like Trump, and second of all, <laughs> right. second of all, that it's a character. It's a character, but it became a very weird thing. The line between me and the character suddenly became odd because it was I wasn't sure. Who was being accused of misogyny exactly? <laughs> and to what extent did I then need to show, like, this is a character, and I know he's a monster. We're laughing and we're having fun with what a monster he is, right? Or are we taking him seriously? Or are we taking me seriously? Or exactly what's happening? Right. It became, to me, a little confusing. And that's where satire, I mean, I, you know, satire is a very powerful tool to be able to shed light on horrible people and make fun of them. Yes. Because, you know, again, comedians... Don't go out and stab people with swords. Like this is the tool set that you have is to highlight horrible people and yes. and not and make fun of it. Like and to ridicule and go, yes, this is dumb and ridiculous, and you should not be it's this cartoonishly way. evil. But then she she continued to boo him throughout the set, and I and I really. I just couldn't tell, and at some point almost wanted to break character and go, just to be clear, are you booing Don DeMello <laughs> or me? <laughs> I, w- I was saying boo Earns. Are you part of the fun right now or not? You didn't I know if she was yes-anding you or... Yes, that's what I did. Or know. actually n- no but. <laughs> right. No, but shut up. That's what I didn't know. You didn't know. Did you talk to her after the show? to me. No, no. But it was. it turned out fine because... You know, just refusing to break character and respond to all those questions in that way. But it put things in a different, in a somewhat different way. It is sort of hard sometimes to, because you do kind of want to say like, guys, you're at a comedy show. I yeah. no, no you know if I came out and said hi I'm Andy Daly and these are my absolute 100% beliefs and this is a lecture right. of course you know like boo that guy <laughs> right but but if you're at a com- just for coming to a comedy club yeah. and delivering a lecture yeah 
<laughs> now, there's no jokes. I'm going to say a lot of things that are very upsetting, and I mean all these things 100%. But it, it's, it's, you know, you want to say, like, you know, when you come in, you should, there should be a certain amount of separation. You should know, like, you're in a safe environment. This isn't something, you know, it, it kind of sucks that you would have to say that because then you sort of feel like, well, why did you come to a comedy venue? Like, part, like, I guess, but, I, but I'm, I'm torn about it, though, because in a weird way, like, it, it partly felt like you're bringing a real world question to a cartoon world setting, right. in a way, which I opened the door to by taking questions. But then I also kind of feel like maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something cool about that. Right. <laughs> maybe there's something interesting. Now, Bugs Bunny, as someone who burrows underground a lot, is that a statement about immigration? No, I just, wait, what? Why are you, shouldn't we all be on, shouldn't we all be in cartoon land? Like, you shouldn't, you know, I mean, you can ask, yeah, I don't know. That, that, that one feels yeah. a little... I don't know. It was interesting. Definitely was interesting. And it and it seemed to color the rest of the night in, a, in an odd way. Because then the next character I do is L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> and you answer questions as L. Ron Hubbard? I answer questions as L. Ron Hubbard. Does he? That is great. I don't even know what he sounds like. Do you, do you, just, do you just say you're L. Ron Hubbard so it does not matter? Is that one right. of those ones where it doesn't matter? It's it just like a matter. guy. It's just a I watched guy. a couple of interviews with him and I, and I think he was... Uh, uh, oh boy, there's one that's really interesting uh, where he's on the boat at this point. He's there, he really can't dock anywhere. <laughs> Everybody's after him, but he's he's just out on the boat and he agreed to some interview where his posture in the interview was, "I'm really just retired. I'm just a harmless old fellow out on a boat with a bunch of teenagers, and we're having fun out here." And then, but it was a, all bullshit. Like the pose was bullshit because he was heavily in charge and doing horrible things around the world, like literally trying to take over the nation of Rhodesia. <laughs> <laughs> He was not retired, but so like that—that that sort of way that he was presenting himself didn't feel like something I could do as an impression, genuinely, because it was a pose. And then, so I went back to an earlier interview where he's—he's, he's, uh, oh god, he's all decked out in like this loud '70s shirt with a big collar, and he's—he's he's just very confident about his methods, and and so and, and he has this weird facial expression where you really see his back molars when he talks, so. I, I don't think I'm doing a, anything close to a decent impression of L. Ron Hubbard, but I'm trying to kind of like embody that more. You're capturing, trying to caption the, yes, right. the essence of who that guy is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's great fun to take questions. The best, probably the best <laughs> question answer was in Portland. Somebody said, what's the greatest threat to Scientology? And Hubbard <laughs> just said, well, the greatest threat to Scientology is information. <laughs> 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 there was so. Uh, were you at the, uh, the, the 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 creative arts, the technical Emmys? Were just over the week. No, I wasn't there. But there was a. I, I I was I presented a couple of awards, and one of the ones that one of the documentaries that won was going clear. Oh yeah. And then I was on right after. I presented like five awards, so I had to. They immediately cut to me, you know, and they gave this very quick but sort of impassioned thing about you know like why like why they felt it was wrong and why that is. And it was yeah. so hard. It, there was like kind of a serious moment. And I I censored myself, which I feel like you probably shouldn't try to do as a comic. But it was so hard not to go. Oh, but the Celebrity Center is showing Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? You know, because they because by the UCB, like they always put up these yeah, flyers. They, and they show these. Come join us. They show these really cool movies yes, from the eighties. Indiana Jones. Yeah, it's like long. you're just. Are you, are you you're just a, you're just trying to absorb Gen Xers who are yeah. like well, weird science? Wow, no yeah. one shows that anymore. Right? Yeah, exactly. 
People, yeah, people, and then they have the brunches and stuff like that. Like they're trying to get people who go, yeah, I know it's weird, but fuck it, I don't care. I'll sit there and watch the movie. movie. You know, I and at do. some point that, that someone's going to insinuate themselves <laughs> into their experience. And, are you enjoying this? You know what's interesting? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you know, I'll stick around for real genius if you guys are going to show that. And, <laughs> you know, and then why wouldn't I take a personality test? It's free. <laughs> it's all free. <laughs> the communication class is only one hundred fifty bucks. <laughs> Ten years later, how did I get out on this boat? Where are we? <laughs> what, what, what happened to Hot Shots Part Two? <laughs> well, uh, we're about in an hour. Nah, perfectly. We just looped over into an hour. Unbelievable. Would you? Uh, uh, you can feel it. Would you? No, you can't. <laughs> it's seamless. No, I'm saying you have an inner clock for these things. Oh, I thought you meant like the audience can feel it. Here we are, hour three <laughs> of Andy Daly's IMDb page. Uh, <laughs> would, I, would, is there any way you would... Uh, well, first of all, Review is on. People should watch Review. Yeah. You just had episode seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, of how many? Ten? Ten. Yes, very exciting. Episode eight is a very, very important one, and then nine is insane, and then what can I tell you about ten? I don't even know what to tell you about ten. Well, it's the tenth one. It's the tenth one. It's the season finale. Yeah, so there's a big uh, cliffhanger. Uh, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Know. <laughs> well, you know. You made it. So, yeah. I have some idea. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but if you can't, ca- what time is review on? Thursdays at 10. On Comedy Central. And then also on the Comedy Central app. And oh, my on God. CC.com. It's should... comical, the list of other places you can watch it. <laughs> Probably on Hulu, too, I would imagine. Uh, no, I get, well, yeah, I get a, a, a huge number of uh, of tweets, people tweeting at me all the time, angrily asking me when it's going to be on Hulu. Right. right. I'm really not in You know, my favorite one is when is when there's, when there's people from other countries are like, how come you're blocking your show? Well, first of all, that's not <laughs> me. That's your country, just so you know how geo-blocking works. Uh-huh. Geo-blocking, it, oh, it, it comes right? from, it's coming from inside the house. House. Like we don't, we're not responsible for that, and also I am not responsible for distributing the show. I would love for people to watch review in England. Nothing would make me happier <laughs> if they could. Don't yell at me. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. If you can't get it. Or yeah. the show, things like show times and how things are marketed. Not the, we're not included in those conversations. That's precisely right. Yeah, yes. where things are shown. I assume we're on iTunes and uh, CC.com and the Comedy Central app, and there's something called Verizon FlexView. <laughs> We're, we're involved with Voodoo. Are you familiar with Voodoo? I'm familiar with Voodoo, V-U-D-U. yes. V-U-D-U. You can catch us there. Uh, other places on demand. Uh, the Xbox. That Pretty also sure you can sound, watch us on the Xbox. That very culty. Hey, friend, how come you're not into Verizon FlexView? <laughs> Maybe I yeah. can flex your view. Flex your view. I think your view is not flex enough. Would you, uh, do you want to sign off the podcast? Would you sign off the podcast as uh, Ben Alterman? Oh, Ben Alterman? I just love him so much. Oh, I'm trying to think of, of, the, of the better Ben Alterman jokes. Here, this is how long I've been doing the bit, or, or, or how long ago I first did the bit. This is a Ben Alterman joke. My daughter gave me a VCR for Christmas. I don't know how to program it, so I just stick my cock in it and fuck it. <laughs> right? That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. The face you would always make after the... the oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you need the cardigan sweater. And... Yeah, so, yes, an old man in a little sort of Henry Fonda on Golden Pond hat <laughs> and a big pair of glasses telling uh, telling jokes. My grandchildren are in the audience. and The, the widow Feeney uh, doesn't look too good. She's lost a lot of weight. She asked me if I wanted a blowjob, and I says, yeah. Not because I wanted a blowjob, but because she looked like she could use the protein. <laughs> Horrible. It's just <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> that joke has everything. <laughs> Thank you very much, Andy Daly. Oh, my pleasure. I, I adore you. <laughs> Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.